Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. This is the ninth in a series of messages I've called How God Treats His Children. I guess that means I've preached eight so far, right? But actually, I've only had five points, messages, that I want you to get. So let me review them again. The first thing I said is God blesses His children. The second message was on the fact that God encourages his children because he wants them to grow to spiritual maturity. Then I talked about the fact that he disciplines his children and he can get angry with his children. The next point I made, the fifth, was that he rewards his faithful children. Now, what I've done since I introduced that message is I have uh, treaded water, so to speak, and just kept talking about that particular point, which is where I really was headed in this series of messages to begin with. Uh, Today is no different. So I started out just by talking about the judgment seat of Christ in general, which is where he rewards us. Then I talked about the word rewards, the Bible is full of, message, of text on rewards, and sometimes the word rewards is used, and sometimes it's not, and we covered a number of those. Then I talked about crowns and ruling in the kingdom, and the last time I talked about being an overcomer. Now, all of those things, the judgment seat of Christ, rewards, crowns, ruling in the kingdom, overcoming, are all related to the judgment seat of Christ. So I've actually only had one point I've been making in all of these messages. I have one more uh, in the judgment seat of Christ in this sense, and then I'm going to have a sixth point, and I don't know, maybe two messages in that, and the series will be ended. So what I want to talk about today is inheritance. One of the words the Bible uses to describe rewards is inheritance. Only this one gets a little tricky because of the nature of the inheritance. Matter of fact, it can get very complicated. So what I want to do is, first of all, just go through what the New Testament, and for that matter, some of the Old Testament passages, say about inheritance. Then, at the conclusion, after I talk about inheritance, I want to sort of put the cap or a summary on just this message, God rewards his faithful children. And I'm going to talk about another aspect of the judgment seat of Christ next time, but for this time, it's going to cap and summarize this whole thing I've been driving home, that God rewards his faithful children. Repetition is one of the laws of learning. God rewards his faithful children. And one of the ways that is communicated to us is we get an inheritance. Now, most of you 
don't worry about inheritance because the average family as of in the United States, and these figures come from 2016, when they die, when a person dies, is $62,000 in debt. So there's nothing to leave. So most, most of us don't have to worry about inheritance. However, there are some who get a small inheritance and some get a larger inheritance. And so we all know about inheritance. The concept is really simple. Upon death, people leave their possessions to their heirs. And those heirs are the recipients of those possessions. So that's the concept of inheritance. But it can get a bit more complicated. Uh, let's suppose a man had three children. And he left an inheritance to them. Well, there are all kinds of ways he could do that. One is he could take all of his wealth and divide it equally among the three. You would think that would be the best way to do it. Uh, depends. Another possibility is he could give 50% to one and then 25% to the other two and he probably would have reasons for doing that. And the other possibility, which really gets interesting, is he could leave 50% to one, 50% to a second, and not leave anything to the third. So as you can see, the concept of inheritance can get very complicated and tricky very quick. Now, as I have said, God rewards his faithful children. And one of the words that's used to describe that is God leaves us an inheritance. Now, given the way inheritance can be divided, the question becomes, how does God do that? Who gets what? And that's what we want to talk about. In doing this, I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to talk about what the Old Testament says about inheritance, and then I'm going to talk about what the New Testament says about inheritance. So for starters, will you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19. And I want you to look at verse 14. Deuteronomy 19, 14. You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark which the men of old have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, there are a couple of things I want to point out here. They have not entered the land yet. They're on their way. And the Lord says, I'm giving you this land as and inheritance. And that's the part of the verse that I'm interested in. He says, uh, the inheritance which you will inherit in the land. Now here's what happened. There were 12 tribes, and when they entered the land, they divided the land among the 12 tribes. So everybody got an inheritance, except for the Levites, and they were not given land because they were dedicated to the priesthood. But by and large, 
the nation all got a portion of the land. The tribes were given land. What he's saying in this verse is don't move the landmarks. Well, the landmarks were the boundaries uh, that they set around the various portions of the land. And they were set uh, when they first got there. And he is saying, don't move the fence. That if you've got your pasture fenced off, don't go in the middle of the night and change the fence and move it. Uh, And that's the point of the verse. But he says in passing, that the land is your inheritance. And the point I want to make is that everybody, except for the Levites, got a portion of the land. Now, while we're in Deuteronomy, uh, flip to chapter 25 for a second. Chapter 25, and look at verse 19. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you Rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. And that's the little phrase I want you to see. He says again, I'm giving you the land as an inheritance. While we're this close, look at chapter 26, verse 1. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it. So over and over now, we see that he is giving uh, them the land as an inheritance. Got it? Matter of fact, that's kind of close to what might happen today. You inherit the house. In a rural area, I'd say you inherit the farm. Uh, Now, you might inherit a bank account and stocks and bonds and all that kind of stuff. But it would not be unusual to say the house or the farm was in the family, and when the father dies, uh, it um, goes to the heirs, the children. Now, having said that, it starts to get interesting. Turn to Deuteronomy 21, and look at verse 15. He says, If a man has two wives, one loved and the other unloved, and they have borne him children, both the loved and the unloved. And if the firstborn son is of her who is unloved, then it shall be on the day he bequeaths his possessions to his sons that he must not bestow the firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference to the son of the unloved, the true firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all he has. For he is the beginning of his strength, and the right of the firstborn is his. Now there are two things going on in this passage that I want to point out. Um, Very interesting. Guy has two wives, and he loves one, and he doesn't love the other one. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't love her at all. That phrase is used in Genesis. He didn't love her as much. But anyway, one was his favorite. That's one of the reasons you don't want two wives. (laughs) And the one that he doesn't love as much is the first to give birth to a son. 
Now there is a rule, and this is the second thing I want you to see in this passage, that the firstborn gets a double portion of the inheritance. But if you got two wives and the unloved wife is the first to give birth to a son, you might be tempted to give the double portion to the one that was born by the wife you loved. And so the law says, no, no, this is a, this is a rigid law. It goes to the firstborn regardless of which wife gave you the firstborn son. So the point of the passage is, has to do with uh, having two wives and uh, having a son by the one you didn't love as much. But the point I want to make, and the point that is here, is that some got a double portion. So as far back as the Old Testament, there wasn't the equal distribution of possessions. That the scripture spells out, some get a double portion. Now, one other. While you're in Deuteronomy, turn toward the front of your Bible, back a book to Numbers, and look at Numbers 14. There's an illustration of this. Numbers 14. And look at verse 24. He says, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now, if you will recall, when they got to Kadesh Barnea, they sent 10 spies into the land to spy it out. I'm sorry, 12. 10 came back and said, hey, we can't do this. They're giants in the land. And two of them said, oh, yeah, we can do it. No problem. One of those was Caleb. The other was Joshua. When they get in the land, now Caleb's an old man by this time, and he says, give me the mountain. He wanted this special inheritance. And what this verse is saying is he had a different attitude. He had a different spirit in him, and he followed me fully. He wanted to obey me when the whole nation didn't. He stood against the ten spies who said, we can't take the land. He he had a heart for me, so I'm going to give him a special inheritance. And again, my point is simply that not all inheritance is equal. They are divided up. And sometimes somebody gets a bigger portion than the others, and as we shall see, not this time but later, some get disinherited. So this subject of inheritance is really interesting. Now, if you were going to leave some your possessions to somebody else, the, an attorney would tell you to make out a will, right? Well, that's okay in some situations, depending on how much you have. But a good attorney would tell you, you might need a living trust. Now, the advantage of a living trust is that you can have control way down the pike. Uh, if you have a will, it... Where there's a will, there's probate court. Uh, that's a special court that distributes the inheritance. And the minute that thing's read, it's distributed right on the spot. But if you have a living trust, 
the author of that trust, the one that created it, the one that had all the stuff to distribute it, he can control you way down the pike. So inheritance is not as simple as I'm going to divide you know, my inheritance three ways between my three kids, 33, 33, 33. It's not that simple. You can get really interesting. One of the most interesting cases I've seen lately was a millionaire in New York. He had uh, daughters. And he was going to leave $10 million to each of them in the year 2015. And here's what he said. And you can do this with a living trust. The article I read didn't say that, but I know. He, must have, he didn't do this with a will. He did this with a trust. Here's what he did. He um, said that uh, the daughters wouldn't get their cut until they were 35. But that's not all of it. They each also had to attend an accredited university, write an essay about the inheritance, marry well-positioned men who would legally swear not to in, uh, use the inherited money, stay gainfully employed, and not have children out of wedlock. This cute. I guess if you broke any of those, you got disinherited. <laughs> Interesting. If the, girls, uh, if the girls are holding down a decent job, by 2020, they get a yearly payout equal to three times their income. Now, my point is, you can structure the inheritance any way you want. And in the case of a living trust, you can extend it out. You don't get this till you're 35 years old. And you don't get it unless you gainfully employ. Now, there was no word in this article uh, whether or not the father was trying to figure out how to impose a curfew on his daughters. But he sure laid out some stipulations. Now, that's what the Old Testament says about the inheritance. Everybody in one case, got something. But there were cases where it wasn't divided equally. Some got a double portion, and some, like Caleb, got an extra additional portion of the inheritance. Now, let's look at the New Testament. I'll tell you where to turn in a minute, but first, I just want to give you a little bit of background. In the New Testament, the word heir inherit and inheritance are used of different people, different things. So let me just uh, give you a quick overview. Here is a survey of every occurrence of those words in the New Testament. Noah became an heir of righteousness. That's in Hebrews 11. Abraham was given the land as an inheritance. That's in Hebrews 11. It's also mentioned in Acts 7. Abraham was promised that he would be the heir of the world, not through the law, but through the promise, Romans chapter 4. The son of the bondwoman was not an heir, with the son of the free woman in Galatians 4. Esau did not inherit the blessing, Hebrews chapter 12. A man said to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me in Luke 12. By the way, that one's really interesting. You know what the Lord said? I mean, this guy comes in and says, 
make my brother divide the inheritance. And Jesus says, beware of covetousness. Ouch. All right, carrying on. Uh, as heir, uh, an heir, it says in Galatians chapter 4, who was a child is no different than a slave. In other words, he hadn't gotten his inheritance yet. And then there's the case of the rich young ruler who came and asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, with that in mind, turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Let's see how this applies to us. And it does. Galatians chapter 3. And I want you to look at verse 27. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you, uh, I'm sorry, I want verse 20. Uh, no, I want verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Did you see that? If you are Christ, you get an inheritance. Now, uh, the title of this whole series is How God Treats His Children. In order to become an heir, in any sense, an heir of God, you must be a child of God. Roma, John 1.12 says, But as many as receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So when you hear the glorious good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for your sins and arose from the dead, and you trust in him, then you are given the gift of eternal life, and you become a child of God. This verse is saying that if you are Christ by faith, then you're Abraham's seed and an your heirs according to the promise. You get an inheritance. While you're in Galatians, look at chapter 4, and I think verse 17. No, I want verse, um, I don't, verse 7, that's what I want. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and as a slave, uh, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. There it is. says it very simply. If you're a son, you are an heir. Now, uh, I want you to turn to Romans. Go back toward the front of your Bible and go to Romans and look at chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And look at verse 17. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And that is not the verse I want. Where does it say that you're a joint heir? Well, no wonder it doesn't say that, because I'm in Acts. <laughs> Tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll join you in Romans in just a second. Romans 8. Romans 8, that's verse 17. Ah, that's what I want. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God, stop. Don't read any further. I'll get to the rest of the verse later. But I just want you to see, if you are a child of God, you are an heir. Amen. Thank now, uh, sonship implies heirship. Uh, 
the inheritance includes just having eternal life. That's the passage in Titus. So put your finger in Romans 8, because we're going to come back. I didn't finish that verse. I will in a minute. But we've got to look at Titus chapter 3 first. Titus chapter 3, and look at verse 4. This is what you get by being a child of God. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And having been justified by faith, we have become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So this passage says you're saved not by works of righteousness, which you do, but by God's mercy and grace, and then you become an heir. And what do you get? You get eternal life. Now, there's much, much more involved. But rather than go through all the passages, I'm going to quote somebody who's done the work for us. One pastor says it like this, All believers will inherit an eternal home in heaven. Glorified bodies, eternal relationship with God that allows them to enter freely into the throne room of God. All believers enjoy the blessing of living forever in the new heaven and the new earth. All believers inherit the blessing of being with their beloved loved ones in eternity. All simply by faith. Another author grappling with this tried to summarize it by saying, Every believer will have an eternal, indestructible body, just as Jesus has. He will not be limited by distance or endurance. Also, every believer will have proximity to the Father, the ability to behold Him in all of His beauty, to spend eternity studying the wonders of His attributes and purposes. Now, that's some of the blessings of the inheritance you get simply by trusting Jesus Christ. Basically, it boils down to this. You get a slice of heaven. By the way, you get a body. I'm looking forward to that. A glorified body. And um, he says you're going to be, this says you're going to have a body like Christ. And Philippians 3 says that. Last week when I was speaking in the Bible conference, we had a question and answer session afterwards. And one of the questions I got is, and I've heard this before, will we be like we're 33 years old? Because Jesus' daddy was 33, so if we're going to have a body like his, we'll be 33. You ever heard that? Let me ask you, would you rather have the body you got now or the one you had when you were 33? You all voted. Boy, that was quick. You voted pretty quick. Well, I think I'd settle for the 33 too. You don't have to settle. By the way, the answer to that question is, and you've heard me say this before, I don't know. However, I think I get a body better than the 33. Why? Because it's going to be like his, and he had a glorified body. Who cares about 33? Right? So the point is, you are an heir. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you are an heir and you will get an inheritance. Amen? Amen? All right. There's more. 
the plot thickens. Some of you are going to get an additional inheritance. Interested? Well, it depends. What do I have to do? And what is the inheritance? Well, that's what we need to study. Some get an industrial inheritance because they did something beyond just trusting Jesus Christ. Now it's time to go back to Romans 8. There are two kinds of heirs, and this verse spells it out as clearly as any verse I'm aware of. I don't know of a verse that spells it out as clearly as this does. Romans 8, verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him that we may be also be glorified together. Now, there are two kinds of heirs here. There's the plain old heir that's a child. You were born again in the family of God. You're an heir of God. But there's a joint heir. A joint heir is a joint heir with Christ. So there's two things that indicate that there are two different heirs here. One is, one is called an heir and the other is called a joint heir. That should settle it. But to emphasize it, one is called the heir of God, and the other is called the joint heir of Christ. So, this verse clearly indicates that there are two kinds of heirs. An ordinary, simple, child of the God, run-of-the-mill heir, and a joint heir. Now, this is not often understood, and some may question it. I would point them to the word if. You get to be the second kind of heir if you do something in addition to believe, and that ought to prove the case. But because some struggle with this, I want to do something I don't normally do. I want to quote a couple of authorities, uh, commentators, that you might not think would normally say this. One says, there's no sharing of Christ's glory unless... There is sharing of his suffering. That's what the verse says. Another well-respected commentator says, suffering is the indispensable prelude to glory. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a London pastor, said, there, there is, in the teaching in the Scripture, that suggests that there are variations in the amount of inheritance depending upon our conduct and our behavior. And that one really says it. All right. Want to, want to know what you have to do to get this extra? Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I know we're bouncing around the Bible, but you've got to do it to get all, because this, this subject isn't discussed in just one passage. It's all over the place. All right. Colossians chapter 3. In this passage, Paul addresses slaves. And here's what he says in verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Look at verse 22. Bond servants. 
They were slaves. They didn't have any choice. And he says, if you just do it to the Lord, then that's what I'm after. Whatever you do. Well, whatever they did, they didn't have any choice. And they could have gotten real bitter real quick. And he says, no, 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 no. Whatever you're doing, do it as unto the Lord. Now look at verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Did you see that? If you're a lowly slave doing manual labor, if you do it as unto the Lord, you get a reward. That's part of the inheritance. Now, as we have seen, there's an additional reward. This isn't the reward that everybody gets. Suppose you do something and you don't do it as unto the Lord. Then guess what? You still get an inheritance. You're in heaven. But you don't get this additional reward, whatever that might be. We'll get to that. Got it? So, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, and you get rewarded by him. So, uh, I guess the next question is, what must believers do to receive this additional inheritance? Well, if I have you tracking me all through the Bible, we could be here quite a while. So, would you like for me to just summarize some of the things you have to do? Not you have to do, you can do and get rewarded. This one's interesting. The meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. That is, those who do not demand their own rights will have a special place of rule in the kingdom. The Bible teaches that when Jesus comes back, he's going to set up a kingdom on this earth. Revelation 20 says it lasts a thousand years. And we're going to be joint heirs, joint rulers with him. As I've explained in this series, if you serve the Lord, you're going to serve in his administration. So what this is saying is if you're meek, you go around serving instead of demanding to be served, then you're going to inherit the earth. And that is a direct reference to rewards. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the Beatitudes. And that is clearly talking about rewards. He says that a few verses later. And he calls it uh, inheritance. So you want to inherit? Then be meek. Don't be haughty. And domineering. The righteous will, uh, who help needy people will inherit the kingdom. That's in Matthew 25, 34. Believers, oh, this is one of my favorite. In James chapter 2, it says, those who are rich in faith are heirs of the kingdom. Ah, if you have faith, bam, you're a child of God, and you get an inheritance. If you are rich in faith, you get an additional. If you really learn to trust the Lord day in and day out, no matter what's coming at you, you're trusting the Lord. Whether you win or lose, you're trusting the Lord. Then you're rich in faith, and you get an additional reward. Those who bless others inherit a blessing. That's in 1 Peter 3, 9. Believers who suffer for Christ will be joint heirs with Christ. That's the verse we've looked in in Romans 8, 17. 
Those who heed what they hear will inherit uh, a blessing and a reward in Hebrews 2.1. Those who have faith and patience inherit the promises according to Hebrews uh, 6.12 and 14. The overcomer, we are told in Revelation 21.7, inherits all things. So, there is an additional blessing and inheritance and reward for those who are meek, righteous, rich in faith, suffer, obey, are patient, and are overcomers. So all believers have, as their in, have the Lord as their inheritance. But there is another inheritance, an additional one given to those who are faithful. Matter of fact, uh, there is someone studying this subject said it just like that. Quote, an additional one given to those who are faithful, which is the point I've been trying to make in the last several messages that the Lord rewards faithful believers. Have you got that message so far? Has it stuck? All right. I'm going to do two things at this point. I want to sum up this whole thing about inheritance, and then I want to sum up the last four messages or so, uh, because after this, I'm going to go into another aspect of how God treats his children. The point I've been making now for four messages or so is that God rewards faithful believers. Crowns demonstrate that. Overcomer, the word overcomer demonstrates that. Just the word reward demonstrates that. And the word inheritance demonstrates that. So the concept of inheritance is, while all believers have an inheritance, faithful believers have an additional inheritance. So if you've got that concept down, you've got the concept of inheritance in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now this is going to be a little repetitious, but bear with me. I think it's helpful to repeat this. The concept reveals what things will qualify to get the inheritance. It's not just having faith, it's being rich in faith. It's being obedient, it's being patient, it's being an overcomer, it's being meek, it's helping the needy, it's blessing others, it's suffering for Christ. Those are the kinds of things just pertaining to inheritance. There are other things you can do that I've mentioned in other aspects of this subject. There's an additional inheritance, including inheriting the earth, Matthew 5, inheriting the kingdom, That's mentioned in Matthew 25, James 2, and Hebrews 1, Hebrews 6, and verses 12 and 14. You will inherit a blessing, 1 Peter 3, 9. You'll be a joint heir with Christ. You'll inherit all things, according to Revelation 21, verse 7. These things seem to suggest some kind of ruling and reigning with Christ in the kingdom. A pastor summed it all up by saying this. Most New Testament passages address the believer's inheritance as a gift of God's grace, lavished on all believers, and he quotes Colossians 1.12. But only a few verses communicate 
the, that certain unfaithful believers will receive the reward, or the faithful believers, I should say, shall receive the reward of the inheritance given over and above the gift of inheritance. To illustrate the industry in a, a gift uh, and reward, let's imagine for a moment that a rich father who has three sons. Upon the father's death, his last will and testament is read in the son's presence. It reveals that the gracious father bequeathed to all his sons a great but equal inheritance. But they received it as a gift merely because they were the father's sons and they were born into his family. But in addition to the gift, the same father gives a reward to certain of certain additional blessings to one of his sons who faithfully served him every day for many years while he was in poor health before he died. Likewise, all believers receive God's inheritance, and some receive an additional reward. What I liked about that is that the, the inheritance we all get is a gift. You get it simply by trusting Christ and being a child of God and being a member of the family of God. But there is a reward, and as I pointed out in this series, that's a result of work if you do other things, like the things I've mentioned today, then you get an additional reward. You could get a double blessing, a double inheritance. All right. What I've been meaning to do today is just cover the word inheritance. But now that I've come to this point in the series, I want to close by talking about the judgment seat of Christ and the fact that God rewards his faithful children. I've, I know I've said this before, but this is not a familiar subject, and repetition is one of the laws of learning. So I'm going to say it again. We know that God rewards his faithful children because of the way the New Testament talks about rewards, crowns, ruling in the kingdom, being an overcomer, and inheriting a blessing. So, we know that's the case. All those things I've talked about in detail, and I just want to put the cap on it and say they're all saying basically the same thing. One more time, God rewards his faithful children. So those who do good in this life will be rewarded in the next. If you obey the Lord in this life, you get rewarded in the next. Now, I want you to sit back, and I'm going to read something to you. A passage of Scripture. This says it as well as anything I know. Listen very, very carefully. I'll tell you where it is after I read it. But also... For this reason, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, add to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, 
You will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election, the text says sure, but the idea is manifest. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you hear that passage? It's in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 11. He lists all the things you need to do. Add to your faith, virtue. Add to your virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. The ultimate, agape love. And he says, if you do this, you will have an abundant entrance into the kingdom. What's he saying? Just grow up spiritually. Develop into Christ-like spiritual maturity, and you will have an abundant entrance into the kingdom. In other words, you will be greatly rewarded. So believers who grow will be rewarded in the kingdom. They will have an abundant entrance into the kingdom. Commenting on the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, Erwin Lutzer pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, said this. We were not given the same number of talents in life. Some are given one, and others are given two, while a few are given five or ten. God does not expect five-talent ability from a two-talent man. Is that comforting or what? That, Erwin, you've done good, buddy. That's good. I like that. He goes on to say, but since rewards are based on faithfulness to opportunity, both the two-talent man and the five-talent man receive the same reward. Isn't that nice? So you may think you're low man on the totem pole. You're a slave. You're a servant. You don't, I'm not a preacher. Well, you can be rewarded. And this is the point because it's based on faithfulness and growth. So if you're a one talent person, use that talent to the glory of God. And if you've got five, use that to the glory of God. So you could. You could be next to nothing in this life and be real rich in the next. So don't look at this subject and say, woe is me, I could never make it. The exact opposite is true. Anybody can be rewarded abundantly if they grow, if they become like Christ, if they serve the Lord with the right attitude, if they do whatever they do is unto the Lord, you will have an abundant entrance into heaven. I think most preachers and most churches are so busy trying to get people to heaven, they forget to tell those who made that decision, 
And by the way, there's a lot more you can do between now and then to have an abundant entrance into the kingdom. So wherever you think you are, spiritually, socially, economically, you could have nothing. But if you will grow spiritually and serve the Lord faithfully, you will have an abundant entrance into the kingdom. In 2009, an extremely wealthy German woman died. By German law, her direct descendants would inherit her estate. The wealthy woman had a sister living in the U.S. and a daughter. The daughter was deceased, but she had two sons who were next in line to receive their mother's portion of the inheritance. The sister would get her portion. The daughter was dead, so her children would get her portion. Those two sons were homeless, living in a cave in Hungary. The estate was valued roughly at $5.3 billion, with a B, dollars. And they're living in a cave. The story I read was entitled, From Zero to a Billion. And when I read it, I thought, that's it. You could be a zero here and a billionaire there. And the key is, God rewards his faithful children. Amen? Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, you are so gracious. You save us when we don't deserve it. And now you reward us abundantly for just a little thing like being faithful, being consistent, serving you, loving you helping others. Lord, thank you. And may the Spirit of God impress this upon our minds so that we do all that we do unto you. Amen. In Jesus' name.